Hello, and welcome to the Grayson Taylor Podcast, the podcast for young artists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Grayson Taylor. I'm a published novelist, professional actor, composer, and independent filmmaker. This podcast is all about the creative arts, writing, filmmaking, acting, Lego building, composing, and more, including reviews of the latest films and books. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Grayson Taylor Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Fallen Nation Downfall, which is my sixth novel, and as of right now, it's my newest. I'm going to be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at everything that went into the making of this novel. Now, if you haven't already read the book, I would advise doing so, because that's what we're talking about. For the first part of this episode, there aren't going to be spoilers, but later on there will be, so you can listen to the first part of this episode if you haven't read the book yet, and then you'll know when to stop, because I'll, I'll tell you to uh, once we enter the more spoiler-filled section. So let's begin. What is Fallen Nation Downfall? Well, it's the third and final book in the Fallen Nation trilogy, which took about two and a half years to write. I started the first one in November of 2016 and finished the last one in June of 2019. So let's begin. Here's the synopsis of the book. The end has come. Ash and the eight other survivors find themselves in a new world completely different from the lie they've lived their whole lives. On a fight for survival and the truth, Ash begins to uncover the vast mystery behind the city and the Sovereign Supreme's plan at work through it all. Trust dissolves among companions, and tensions grow to the breaking point as lies are slowly chipped away, revealing the unfathomable truth beneath. The lives of everyone Ash cares about, and the entire world, are at stake. The end is fast approaching, and the final plays of the game will determine the future of humanity. So when I started the Fallen Nation trilogy, I didn't know that it was going to be a trilogy. I just thought it would be one book, Fallen Nation, and it would end after that, because up until that point, I had been doing mostly standalones. Uh, I did do one trilogy. Uh, that was my first two novels, and a novella were in that first trilogy. And that was a fantasy trilogy that I did when I was, like... Well, I started it when I was seven, and I finished it when I was nine. But once I reached the end of the first book, well, I realized, I mean, it was an ending, but it wasn't the end of the story, definitely. Um, and so I decided to write another one, and uh, originally I thought it would just be two books, but then, you know, I realized it was going to be a full trilogy. So that's how it ended up being three books. So now about the writing process. This book took about a year, a little over a year. It was like a year and uh, one month to write, which is a lot longer than the previous book, Fallen Nation Uprising, which took four months to write, edit, and publish. So it was uh, probably the fastest book I've ever written. So compared to the previous book, this book took a lot longer to write, but there were several reasons for that. Um, it, it's the last book in the trilogy, and so, you know, that there were a lot of things to tie up with that, a lot of questions to be answered, and there were a lot of things that I wanted to happen, uh, a lot of characters to be introduced, uh, and places to see, you know, things to happen. There are nine new characters in this book, plus a baby and a hawk, and uh, they're named characters, I don't count non-named characters like soldiers or civilians. There are a total of 20 characters in the book, which is the largest cast I've had in the book so far, excluding Dark Waters, which I'm writing right now. The characters take about six methods of transportation, and there are a lot of new things happening in this book. It's also my longest book yet, at about 143,000 words, and it's like 4.7 times the length of Ice Lords and 2.5 times the length of Future. So that's why it took as long as it did to write. 
And as to how I wrote this book, I wrote it pretty much in the same way that I've written uh, my last couple of books. I write standing at my desk, and uh, I write pretty much whenever I have time to write. Sometimes a thousand words, sometimes five hundred. One time I even wrote nine thousand words in a day, like almost ten thousand words, which is, uh, I think, a record for me. If you're going to read this book, I would advise reading Future and Ice Lords as well, because they're all in the same universe, and there are references to the other two books in this trilogy. Uh, for example, some of the characters are related to other characters in the other books, and because all my books take place in one universe, though they take place all across the world, and they're often several hundred years apart. In case you're unaware, or just need a refresher, my books include Fallen Nation, Fallen Nation Uprising, Fallen Nation Downfall, Future and Ice Lords. So I've said about all I can about this book without giving away spoilers, because this is the last book, you know, it's it's hard to say much of anything about it without uh, giving things away. So now onto the spoiler-filled section of this episode. So once again, if you have not read the book, uh, I would advise that you stop here, uh, because there are some uh, big spoilers, and because it is the last book, a lot of things that I personally, as a reader, would not want to know before reading the book. So if you have read and finished the book, uh, continue listening. Warning. Spoilers ahead. So let's start with characters. There are nine new characters in this book, as I previously mentioned, and there are 11 characters reprising their roles. So there are a total of 20 characters in this book, plus, as I previously mentioned, a baby and a hawk. The baby being Ilsa, and the hawk being Swift. Or Rax, you know. If you've read the book, you understand what I mean. So, in the order that you meet them, the, the new characters are Kayla, Davian, Katrina, and her baby Ilsa, Thane, Rowan, Xavier, Everwolf, Jander Morrison, and Hope. So, back for more reprising their roles are Ash, Zack, Alex, Scarlet, Jaden, Raina, Thorain, the Sovereign Supreme, Kim, Mitchelson, Luke, and Allison. So, about the inspiration for the new characters, uh, most of them I just made up out of necessity, for example, you know, uh, Ash and the other eight survivors, or seven at that point, uh, they stumbled upon the, the lighthouse, and so I knew that there was going to be a refugee cave there, and so I just uh, made characters uh, to inhabit that place. And a side note on the lighthouse and the cave, originally uh, they, they were pretty much always in the plan going to find uh, the lighthouse. Uh, that was an idea I had pretty early on, even when I was writing the first book, that there would be a lighthouse outside the city. But originally, they were going to find this this elderly lady there who uh, knew all the answers, pretty much, and, and had uh, you know lived in, in the outside world for her whole life. Uh, but before they could get any answers from her, she was going to uh, basically uh, jump off the lighthouse and, and end up dead. Uh, so, uh, originally, the book was going in a, in a very different direction, and... Uh, the meaning of the name, Downfall, had a pretty different connotation. And also, the the ocean outside of the city was originally not this, you know, still black uh, surface that it is in the book. It was originally just sort of like wasteland, like uh, murky waters, uh, pretty choppy and stormy. But I sort of went in the opposite direction because I thought that would be more surprising, and, you know, surprises are something you want in books. Also, in terms of the 
the overall color scheme of the surroundings of the characters, this book uh, deviates quite a bit from the previous two books because the previous books were in the city. Pretty much everything was in shades of gray and black and white uh, and, you know, red from blood and other things. But um, in this book, they're, they're in a completely different environment. You know, they go to the island where there are a lot of trees and uh, mountains. You know, they climb mountains a lot in this book. Uh, yeah, so there are... There are mountains and trees, forests, cliffs, all sorts of things that are very different from the world they've lived in. And I wanted that to be a very striking contrast. Even the city that they do find on the mainland is very different from the city they lived in, despite the fact that it's the same exact layout. It's made of black glass, which is a pretty different material from uh, the materials that were in the city that they used to live in. There's a lot of glass in this book, and it's often symbolic. So how did I decide, for example, uh, which characters would die and which would survive? Well, uh, for some of them, I knew pretty early on uh, that they would die, and for others, um, it, it just seemed natural. For example, uh, you know, when the Sovereign gives his message in the helicopter at the very beginning of the book, I wanted there to be some sort of edge or urgency to it, so I added in this, this part about one of you will die in a few minutes. Um, and, you know, it seemed sort of realistic because, you know, the, the chances of them surviving are, are pretty low. But then again, nothing is really uh, about chance in this book. It's, it's uh, all a part of a larger plan. And as for um, the death of um, one of the characters whose first initial starts with an A... Uh, I, I can't, I won't say more than that, uh, but if you've read the book, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, my sister actually inspired, um, that death. She said that this person should die. So yeah, it's sort of her fault that that person is, is now no longer alive. But, uh, it was also sort of a, a, a I, I felt it fit the story. And a note on the Sovereign's message that he gave in the beginning of the book. The meaning of this actually changed a lot over the course of writing the book, because originally I, I knew the answers, and so I, I uh, jotted down uh, who all these sentences were referring to, you know, who was the murderer, who was the sibling of the enemy, things like that. Uh, but actually, if, if you've read the book, then you know that uh, it ends up pretty much mainly being about Ash. Um, and it, but there are it, it does, there is some overlap because it does apply to many of Ash's companions. Uh, but I was having a little bit of difficulty fitting everyone into this sort of riddle. And so I, I, I eventually, maybe like two-thirds through the book, uh, realized that there was an answer that was sort of simple. And it, it also worked. Uh, so that was how I decided that, uh, you know, it wouldn't actually be about these nine people. It would be in some ways, but also, mainly, it would be about Ash. And it seemed like the kind of thing that the Sovereign would do, because he is, um, he meticulously plans out things, and he is all about trying to deceive people and manipulate people and control people. Now, I mentioned earlier that there were some references to future and ice lords in this book, and that's true, there are quite a few Easter eggs hidden in here. Uh, for example, a couple of them are uh, that two of the characters are... Uh, well, they have the same last names as people in both Future and Ice Lords. For example, Everwolf, who is the captain of one of the aircraft carriers, uh, he 
his last name Wolf is the same last name as Elise Wolf, who is uh, like a bounty hunter in future, and it's the same last name as Drake Wolf, who is uh, like a murderer and a, a criminal in Ice Lords. And one thing about the Wolf family line is that uh, Drake Wolf, uh, who is the the earliest member of that family line in the books so far, he actually mentions his descendants. Uh, he, this is a quote from the book. He says, Someday my descendants will learn about me and be proud that their ancestor was the greatest assassin who ever lived. Maybe they will follow in my footsteps as well. So, yes, this is sort of a reference to, um, you know, the people who would come after him, Elise Wolf and Everwolf, uh, and they are both sort of um, sort of following in his footsteps. Uh, I mean, they're, they're both of them are sort of on the the evil side, if you will. Although, especially in Fallen Nation, it's sort of hard to say which side is uh, evil. Or, I mean, the authorities are are pretty much you know the villains, but uh, the Sovereign Supreme. It's it's hard to say. It's because I wanted it to be a. Um, a sort of complex thing where it's hard to say what exactly is the good side and what is the bad side. Because the Sovereign Supreme is sort of a mix of both bad and good, and he sort of has put on this persona for years of being the villain. Uh, and that's on purpose, that's part of his plan. That's why in the first book, and the second book too, he sort of seems like a, a very villainous villain. He's this evil dictator with this big army ruling over everyone. I didn't exactly do that on purpose because I didn't know exactly how it would uh, end up in, in the final book when I started writing it, but it sort of worked out because, you know, when I started writing this trilogy, I didn't really know where it would go. Well, I mean, I had an idea of where it would go. I thought I knew where it was going, but turns out I didn't. Uh, the, the last book is very different from where I thought the last book would go uh, when I started, because especially because I, I thought it would just be one book at first, but it turned into this much bigger thing, and you can tell how that worked because Fallen Nation is, you know, on a pretty small scale. It's about a small band of people, and there is a Sovereign Supreme, but he's only in there very briefly. But it's in the second book, Uprising, where things really start to expand. Uh, you know, it's involving millions of people, and, and this, this whole city gets destroyed, you know, a, a massive uprising. And Downfall is sort of on an even bigger scale, especially the, the ending. This is an important thing to note for writing, if you're a writer. Most of the time, your book will not go where you expect it to go. This is especially true for people who don't thoroughly plan out their books. I don't really plan out my books that much, and even if I do, it differs quite a bit. And in my opinion, the end result is usually better when your book changes uh, from what you originally thought it was going to be. I know the Fallen Nation trilogy, at least in my opinion, uh, turned out way better than my original plan would have had it be. It went in a completely different direction, and when I started writing the last book, I thought, <laughs> once more, I thought I knew where it was going to go. And especially because it took place, you know, the writing process took over a year, uh, it changed a lot. The direction it was going uh, was completely different from the direction it, it ended up going in. Because originally, Downfall was going to be, uh, honestly, a more depressing book, sort of. Um, you know, my original plan was to have Ash uh, sort of turn evil. And, I mean, it's hard to say 
whether it's evil or not, uh, but, you know, she was going to become the new Sovereign Supreme, and she was going to lead the authorities, and all her friends were either going to turn against her or were going to uh, stand by her. Uh, it might have been a combination of both, and Ash would have eventually, in the end, realized uh, that she had taken the wrong path, and uh, after some terrible incident, uh, she would have uh, run off into the mountains and, like, years later, would have been found by her companions, um, just living alone and recovering from, you know, her fall into darkness, because, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the title, Downfall, can, it can mean a lot of things, and originally it was going to mean the downfall of Ash, pretty much, it was going to mean her descent into darkness, and that was something that I really thought book was uh, going to do, some uh, direction that I really thought it was, it was going to go in, but it ended up not, and I think it's actually better because of that. You know, I didn't set out to write a depressing, hopeless story. The main theme of the trilogy, especially the last two books, is hope, so it would seem sort of strange to have the main character, who is who has always clung on to uh, hope, to have her turn evil and you know, abandon all that she has uh, fought for. So, I I didn't do that, but what was interesting was that sort of, that, that themes did sort of occur in the book anyway, but it was, in my opinion, in a much better way, because that sort of fallen version of Ash was sort of represented in her sister, um, whose name I'm not going to say here, because, you know, in case someone who hasn't read the book is for some reason listening, or has accidentally skipped ahead. I'm not going to say names, but if you've read the book, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, her sister sort of represented that side and that possibility of what could have happened to Ash, but instead it happened to her sister. A large theme in this book is truth, and so I wanted there to be a lot of twists and turns as they're figuring out the truth. And, you know, I like to be surprised when I'm reading a book or watching a film, and so I wanted to put in a lot of surprises. Uh, this comes in the form of, you know, family relationships, uh, uh, different secrets that people have been hiding from one another, and the sovereign's plan behind the whole thing. Figuring out the answers for everything could sometimes be a bit frustrating or complicated because, especially because I, I had not plotted this out, and it's it's pretty intricate. There are a lot of different loose ends I had to tie up in the end, and a lot of questions that need to be answered especially because when I had started writing the book, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know all of the things that were going to be brought up. And so it, I ended up with, with this, this pretty complicated um, web of things that I had to connect and make sense out of. And I think it worked. I mean, you can judge that for yourself. But um, it, it could sometimes be a bit of a struggle to find the answers in this this maze of things. There were a lot of different possibilities I tried out, um, and some of them worked, but uh, I went with the ones that I thought worked the best in the story. At points, I felt like I knew just as much as the characters, and, you know, less than the Sovereign Supreme did, which is true, pretty much, because I, I as I was writing the story, I was still figuring out the answers, and the answer has changed over time a lot. So if you're writing a book 
definitely be sure to uh, think about that. Think about how uh, the answers can change, and that's okay. If your answers change, um, that's good. Just make sure that they fit and that they work with what you've previously set up. Because I had to go back and, and check things with what I'd previously written to make sure it all lined up. Because there is some pretty complicated stuff going on, especially with things that happened in the past. A lot of this book is figuring out things that happened in the past and moving on from those once you figure out the truth. And so I made this uh, this timeline of, it went back like 30 years, uh, at least 30 years. And so it I wrote a date for every year and I, I measured it in terms of uh, Ash's age. So like year one would be when Ash was one, year 20 was when Ash was 20. So I found this extremely helpful, especially because I was dealing with something that dealt so much with time and everything that had, had happened in the past. Uh, and so if, if you're trying to figure out something like that in your own book, then uh, I would advise doing something like that, a timeline. Um, and, you know, if, if you're working with, like, years, like, you know, 2018 or something, then write those down and write everything that happens in that year. But for me, because this was in the future, uh, I, I used... Ash's age, especially because it's helpful to be able to know how old the main character was when all of these events were happening. So a note on the epilogue and Hope, the character. I knew uh, about maybe two-thirds through the book that I wanted to have um, Ash adopt a, a, uh, a kid or um, a baby or something like that. You'll find that there are a lot of orphans in my uh, projects. You know, Colin Cruz was an orphan, uh, Jack in Spy Squad is an orphan, Jack Tech in Future is an orphan, Walker and Kira in Enigma Islands are orphans, and Hope is an orphan too. I'm not sure exactly why I have so many orphans in my books and films, but, uh, well, especially in my films, when you're running low on actors, that can uh, sort of be a necessity. But anyway, back to who this kid who would be adopted would be. I thought maybe it could be Ilsa, because originally I was thinking maybe Katrina, uh, Ilsa's mother, uh, would die or something, and then Ash would uh, take care of Ilsa. But I, that didn't end up happening, and I think it's it's better that it didn't, because, you know, that would be sort of sad. Uh, and I didn't want the book to end on a depressing note, and the, the epilogue, as a matter of fact, is, is pretty... Uh, it's the most peaceful part of the entire trilogy. And that's that's for a reason, because peace is pretty much, th that's the main thing that Ash has been uh, searching for her entire life, peace and freedom. And so she finally finds it at the end. And so I knew I wanted her to, uh, Ash, to adopt uh, a kid at some point uh, at the end. And so I decided that this kid would be named Hope, which makes a lot of sense. Ash named her Hope uh, because... Uh, you know, hope is, is the, the cool thing about that word um, is that, you know, it, it is one of the most common words in the trilogy, and it's, it's a main theme. And also, it's a name, which is really cool. So I, I thought, what better name could uh, this kid have than hope? And it's, it represents, you know, the future and, and everything that is going to happen after this epilogue. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it seemed like the most natural thing uh, to name a character, especially to have Ash name a character. The epilogue is, quite honestly, one of my favorite parts of the entire trilogy because, you know, it's it's the most 
rewarding part of it. It's it's seeing everything that they've been working toward achieved. It's seeing uh, hope, both the person and the the theme. Uh, and they, you know, it ends with a sunset as uh, and a sunset was a large theme in especially the first book and the second book as well. And again, the third one. So it's a nice uh, bookend sort of to uh, finish the trilogy with. There's a lot of symbolism in the epilogue. The epilogue starts with rain, just as the first book starts with rain. And uh, it's also very different from the first book and, and the entire rest of the, the series in that you know, it's, it's in this entirely natural environment in these, these woods. Uh, it's a beautiful location, and, um, you know, even the, the building is, is completely, uh, th that they live in is, is completely different from any that uh, has ever been seen before in the trilogy, because, you know, this is a new age. It's the new dawn, and so I wanted it to be very different from anything that had ever been seen before in this trilogy. So I hope you enjoyed this episode going behind the scenes of Fallen Nation Downfall, including how I wrote the book and inspirations and challenges along the way. And I hope you learned something new that you can apply in your own writing, such as outlining the timeline of everything that's happened uh, with your character's ages, and how to overcome tough obstacles in the midst of writing, including how to uh, connect different threads in your story and weave together uh, an ending that is satisfying. So I'm assuming that if you're this far into the episode, you've read uh, the Fallen Nation trilogy. And if you have, if you have not already done this, please leave a review on Amazon. I would really appreciate it. So please tell me and others what you think in a review on Amazon. That really goes a long way, and I would really appreciate it if you would do that, if you haven't already. And if you're an author, uh, you know how important it is to get reviews. So please, uh, if you've read the books and haven't reviewed them yet, please do that. And also, if you haven't read my other books, uh, Future and Ice Lords, then definitely check them out. You can get them on my website. That's graysontaylor.info. That's my name, .info, like information. And if you haven't yet, make sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And please consider leaving a review. That can be on the forum of my website or on the review section of this podcast. So to all you young entrepreneurs and artists out there, stay creative and have a great week.